Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is a place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. Happy Hanukkah. As our group settled in to Israel Monday night for a 72-hour solidarity mission, I found myself returning to the words of the contemporary Hebrew poet Michael Zatz. Madhim ech hakol nishar davar. Amazing how everything looks unchanged even when nothing remains the same. Israel, a country to which I have visited more times than I can count, in which I have lived for extended periods at different times of my life, where I met and fell in love with my wife, in which family members of mine live, a country and commitment that it is fundamental to my being as the air that I breathe. Some two months since the horrific October 7th Hamas attacks may look unchanged, but nothing remains the same. Forty-five members of our synagogue community sold out in less than an hour under the leadership of Rabbi Kaufman and our trip provider, Jay Squared, 72 hours in a changed Israel that I think changed all of us forever. The externalities are obvious. The airport is quiet, the airline carriers limited, the traffic is lighter. The hotel in which we stayed, save for the displaced Israelis also staying there, operating at decreased capacity. The music on the radio is somber, reflecting the national mood. The billboards typically selling this or that product or this or that political party have been replaced with messages of solidarity, support for soldiers, and reminders to bring the hostages home. Most of all, the people, the quarter of a million fighting age Israelis, one does not see because they have been called into military service. Israel is a country at war. And while there was never a time, and I'm gonna return to this point, that we felt physically unsafe, it was a very different Israel than any one that I had ever experienced. If you'll allow me one moment of levity in an otherwise serious sermon, in the 30 and only three minutes we had one night prior to a group dinner, I think our group invested in more Judaica than did King Solomon when he built the temple. Park Avenue Synagogue did our part for Israel's sagging tourism industry, of that much, I am sure. Why did we go? Everyone had their own reason, and next Friday night, we're gonna hear from two participants. We went to show solidarity. We went to bear witness. We went to empower ourselves with the images and words to tell Israel's story to the world. We went because as a Shiva house teaches, even when you can't take the pain away, there is comfort in letting a person or a country know that they are not alone. We went 
because we are a community that shows up in advocacy and philanthropy. As Joseph said in this week's Torah reading, when asked what it was he was seeking, it is my brothers that I seek. We went seeking our sisters and our brothers, impactful as the visit was for us, for those with whom we met, we were told time and again that our presence gave them strength and made a difference. So what did we discover? We saw a country that to a person is traumatized. As one speaker reflected to us, the terror inflicted on Israel on October 7th was a combination of Nazi sadism and ISIS barbarism. Some of us visited Far Aza, one of the kibbutzim attacked that October 7th day. It's Israel 2023, but it could have been Kishnev 1903. The smashed windows, the bullet-written walls, the ransacked homes, and the burnt remains. To my dying day, I will never forget the sights and the smells, the Sukkot, frozen in time as they were given that the attack occurred on the final day of the fall festival. Alon, the soldier who walked us through, is himself a resident of Kfar Aza. His life was saved only because that night he happened to be staying with his parents in nearby Sterot. Dead, dead, hostage, dead, unknown, he recited as he stood in his old neighborhood pointing to the homes of his friends. 62 murdered, 18 taken hostage, Kfar Aza, just one of the many communities attacked that day, over 1,200 murdered in all. And while this would have been enough, the sensory overload of our visit was heightened by the sounds and the shockwaves, the boom, 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 and rat-tat-tat of mortar and artillery. We were physically safe, but it was unnerving all the same. We all understood that just a few kilometers from where we were standing, a war was taking place. Each boom, akin to smacking the lid of a motion-filled jar ready to spill over. We experienced it as one, but our reactions were not all the same. I turned to one congregant after a particularly loud boom to see if they were okay because I was not, to which they replied, yes. And I said, why? And he said, because the sounds they were hearing were the sounds of the IDF taking care of business. This was not 1903, this is 2023. Jewish blood is not free for the taking, and the IDF was making that point crystal clear. The surviving populations of Kfar Aza and other communities attacked and at risk have been relocated. We visited one group of survivors now living at Kibbutz Shfa'im, just north of Tel Aviv. The stories we heard were horrifying and heartbreaking, and we all understood that we were the ones speaking to the survivors, the lucky ones, if one can say such a thing, still alive to tell their story. Families huddled in safe rooms for 20-plus hours, final texts sent and received as, as cell phones and hope gave out, parents and children murdered before each other's eyes, women, mothers, wives, sisters and daughters raped, siblings taken hostage, 
desperate evacuations and soul-searing choices made. We also heard from a young man, Tomer, who somehow was able to survive the massacre of concertgoers at the Nova Music Festival. Some testimony we heard. Some testimony will, of course, never be heard. Some testimony comes by way of forensic evidence. We heard from a Zaka representative tasked to identify and care for the human remains, dental records, and DNA testing bearing witness to the inhumanity of Hamas still being analyzed to this day. There's no shortage of evidence, no denying the atrocities. The evidence wasn't hidden even by the perpetrators themselves, recorded as it was on their GoPro cameras and uploaded to their social media accounts. The attack took place on October 7th, but the ripple effects of the trauma is ever-present. We met with Leah Naor, the director of Healing Space, a mental health effort aimed at providing support for those young people in the midst of post-trauma. We met with the head of psychiatry at Ichilov Hospital, Dr. Ra'anan Eitan, but known to this community as Cantor Schwartz's sister. The protocols for this moment are being written in real time. The needs are endless. The caregivers themselves in need of care, so acute is the trauma and the demands being made on them. And the trauma and the agony of October 7th is compounded each day by the continued plight of the hostages. Hostages, hostages, hostages. I would give you a number, some 240 abducted, some 140 remaining in captivity, but the truth is we really don't know. We have no reliable list of hostages. We have no access to the hostages. We have no knowledge of their condition, whether they are alive or dead. What we do know, what the medical team who treated the released hostages know, is that the hostages have been subjected to unprecedented cruelty, suffering psychotic-inducing physical, psychological, and sexual assault. We shudder at the thought of what might be happening to the remaining hostages right now. Right now. Right now. As the media, campus, and Congress seek out their moral equivalencies, calls for a ceasefire, and scoldings of the IDF, we must never forget the horrific and continued plight of the hostages. We went to Kikar Khatufim hostage square. We sat with family members of those abducted. We heard their stories together with Bina, Israel's secular yeshiva, with whom our community has a long-standing relationship. We prayed with the hostage families, with all the Israelis present, for the safety of the hostages, for their release, and for the comfort of their families. And yes, if you are wondering, this is where tears flowed, a sorrow so severe that it transcended words. We prayed, we sang, we held each other, and we cried together. There is trauma, there is grief, there is sorrow, and across the country, there is a deep sense of betrayal. How could this have happened? How could the government have taken its eye off the ball? No warning 
no intelligence, no army. The scandal is outrageous. A startup nation laid low and humbled, not just an attack, but as one speaker explained, a loss of Israeli sovereignty. As I was walking through the terminal at Ben Gurion Airport, I couldn't help but note the juxtaposition of the photo display of Israel's history and the photos of the hostages in captivity. The Zionist ideal of self-determination contrasted with the powerlessness and victimhood of October 7th. In one of our sessions, a fundraiser for Kfar Aza was describing the investments that were needed, the infrastructure, the mental health to rebuild the community. A survivor was standing present off to the side, yelled out, and security, she blurted out. Don't you forget security. There is no way that she or any member of her community or any of the communities in the South or the North are moving back unless the government assures them in word and deed that they are safe and will be. A feeling that the government has betrayed a generation, a distrust that the government will care for their future and safety. Once this war, please God, please God, is over, the political earthquake will be sizable. As one speaker shared, 2024 could be the most consequential year in Israel's history since 1948. And traumatized and angry as Israel may be, there's also a palpable feeling of solidarity. The government's betrayal of the population has resulted in Israelis stepping up and working together in common cause, a bottom-up movement to compensate for a top-down failure. The heroes who ran into danger that day, the overflow of reservists who signed up in the wake of October 7th, the sense of volunteerism, youth, elderly, every age, every profession, an all-hands-on-deck moment. Those protesting the government before the tax are now the ones leading the efforts to save the country. A softening of some, but not all, societal divisions, as one speaker described a potential perestroika in the Haredi community. As for us, we donated bags and bags and bags of supplies and clothing. We volunteered at the Hamals in both Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, the well-oiled distribution centers the size of multiple football fields run entirely by volunteers extraordinary in their scale, scope, energy, vision, and competence. It was not lost on any of us that this country that was tearing itself from within before October 7th is now rallying as one like never before. We heard from more speakers than I can count, each one better than the next. Not surprisingly, we left with more questions than answers. In the immediate term, how can Israel balance the contradictory goals of destroying Hamas and bringing home the hostages alive? How can Israel maintain its humanity in the face of an enemy that continues to prove itself to be so inhuman? What exactly are the military goals of the IDF and what is the criteria by which it will signal that those goals have been achieved? How much time does Israel actually have to do what it needs to do in the face of international pressure? What will Hezbollah, Israel's enemy and Iran's proxy in the north, how will they respond? What does the future hold 
for the Arab communities within Israel, in the West Bank, and across the Gulf states? What is the future vision of Palestinian-Israeli shared society? And what needs to happen to develop a sane center and keep Israel's toxic extremes in check? In the year and in the years to come, how will Israel rebuild not just its southern communities and defense, but its fundamental social contract? One speaker optimistically spoke of Israel's rebirth. How can we, as a diaspora Jewish community committed to Israel's well-being, help midwife this emergent national vision? I do not have the answers to these questions, but these are the questions I am asking, and I would ask that you ask them and try answering them with me. Our Torah reading does not lack for sins. Joseph's arrogance, the brother's jealousy, Jacob's inaction, a catalog of sins of commission and omission. But perhaps the most damning of all happens at the very end of our Torah reading. Joseph is imprisoned and famously and successfully interprets the dreams of Pharaoh's servants, the baker who does not survive, and the cupbearer who does. Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him in his captivity. And yet the final verse of our Torah reading reads, Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This sin, this sin of forgetting, of tapping in and tapping out as our brothers and sisters exist in emotional and literal captivity is a sin we dare not commit. We dare not tap in and tap out of our people at this desperate hour. The same bottom-up sense of solidarity and volunteerism that is taking place in Israel must be mirrored in our own community. Philanthropy, yes. Donations of needed goods and supplies, without question. A refusal to enter into the intra-Jewish debates and take pot shots at other Jews, absolutely. Our people don't lack for enemies. Why would we create more from within our own ranks? And we need to take it to the next level. Park Avenue Synagogue has to lead by example to make sure as many of our congregants, children and grandchildren bear witness and show solidarity. 45 of us came and went safely this week, and if you can, so should you. To be ambassadors for Israel's story, armed with firsthand experiences and facts that will steal our resolve and counter the TikTok lies of our enemies and detractors. To partner with appropriate communities and organizations like the Jewish Agency for Israel to help Israel heal and rebuild, to foster the relationship seeded this past week, to seed more, and most of all, to know that the only thing standing in the way of you and your next act of advocacy, volunteerism, and philanthropy is you. I am grateful, deeply grateful, to each participant of the mission for stepping up. More importantly, I'm inspired by your expectation that our experience together serves as a stepping stone, not as a capstone of our community's mobilization on Israel's behalf. We are rattled. We are wrong. And we are resilient. For all that the group witnessed in Israel, for all of the brokenness, for all of the tears shed, there is strength. There is courage. 
and there is a can-do spirit for all that Israel has endured. The resilience is awe-inspiring. Odlo avda tikvatenu. Our hope is not yet lost. In Israel, in America, wherever we stand, we stand together with Israel. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.